Hi, MDRT, it's Laura. Um, it is Friday, April 3rd. I am coming at you from New York City, uh, bringing you season two, episode 12 of the MDRT podcast. Um, people are always asking how things are. We are uh, hanging in there in New York City. Um, today, we have Dr. Margie Kasner. Um, to talk to. She was so sweet to jump on a call with me. She is an oncologist from Philadelphia. We do spend obviously a lot of time talking about what is going on in our cities and how we are preparing and what our lives and our jobs look like. And of course, everyone's lives right now is is a little bit turned upside down. Um, And we are essential workers. We are showing up every day, um, trying to do all the things that we need to do for our patients. Margie serves uh, at-risk population of uh, acute uh, leukemia patients, and she's trying to keep them safe. She's gonna, she is directing their chemotherapy and, you know, homeschooling and running and doing all those things. So thank you, Margie, for, um, you know, being available to us to give us a little bit of um, a break in our <laughs> days that we could just listen to what's going on with you. Um, and um, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys are staying safe and uh, enjoy our conversation. Hello. Hey. Wow. This really worked. It totally did. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Hey, hi, Margie. How are you? Oh, I'm good. And it's so actually really nice to hear your voice. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, it's well, such a weird time. And it's so such a weird time. Discombobulating. But I know. Yeah. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Margie Kasner to the podcast. Woohoo. <laughs> um, you are a hematologist oncologist, yes, from Philadelphia. I am. I am yeah. an acute leukemia specialist. Okay, fantastic. We're gonna get to that, but everyone, I have to like just talk about what everyone's doing these days because I'm just so curious. Like, how is the Philadelphia area doing? Um, we are bracing ourselves for the storm. Yeah. Um. So. We are watching you guys closely and um, feeling a lot of your your pain and projecting um, a peak here in Philadelphia um, in about two weeks. Um, and if you look at the scary projections, um, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deaths a day at the peak. Yeah. So... Um, so it's weird because that's not a long time away, um, and but it but it feels like a million years away because yeah. we don't have almost any deaths at this point. Okay, well that's good. But and you guys have been shut down now for a couple weeks, like us, right? We have. Um, interestingly, I live in the county that is the epicenter, um, and we have flattened our curve but nobody else has. So the city of Philadelphia, um, which is where I work, but don't live, um, is a disastrous mess um, because for a number of reasons. So they didn't shut down. Their bars were filled for St. Patrick's day weekend. Um, And then once they did shut down, they did it sort of poorly. And by that, I mean that they closed the schools and then the YMCA opened up as child care for a few days until people figured out that that was absolutely the most ridiculous thing in the history of all time. And so the city of Philadelphia um, is, is behind in terms of having done social distancing. And that will ultimately be a huge problem. Right. Because we know the things that we put in effect you know, you don't see the fruits of that for two or three weeks later, you know? Um, Correct. So it's kind of like, 
it is what it is. Today is what it is, but you can change two, three, four weeks from now by doing what we're doing. And it doesn't work if only like half the people or 70% of the people are doing it. Like everyone has to do it. So. Right. You read those things about like the, the cheating, the like, I'm just going to have coffee with a friend because I'm so bored. I'm dying. And then that friend just did whatever. And now it's as if nobody had done anything and all of yeah. us who are distancing and, and all of the things that that means, um, are undone by people who can't or won't take it seriously. Right. Uh, so what does this look like for your work? Um, I asked this, uh, now I feel like it's a normal question. What does your <laughs> normal work week look like and what are you doing right now? <laughs> um, so my weeks are changing um, because I was on service and now I'm I'm not, but somebody else on my leukemia team is. Um, and what we are doing is trying very much to distance the inpatient and outpatient um, coverage. So yeah. we, I'm doing a lot of outpatient um, because I'm not going to be back on service for a while unless that's a sick coverage issue. Um, so I'm trying to be... I'm trying to be the outpatient coverage person for a lot of the time um, because my patients have leukemia that cannot 100% be telehealth. Yeah. Um, it is at this point about two thirds to three quarters telehealth. Um, but I'm still, yesterday I spent an hour and a half with a new patient who has new leukemia. Yeah. Um, and we have a no visitor policy, but this is an exception. So his wife was also at the visit. Um, but it's still so different than it used to be. Like, I I hate wearing a mask even into, like, my patients' rooms when I have to because they have, like, influenza. Because I yeah. feel like what I do requires, I mean, telling somebody they have new leukemia and all of the things that they need to, to do for that. Right. Like, it feels weird behind a mask. Um, so being very distanced from my patients, being behind a mask feels very uncomfortable to me. Um, but of course it's necessary. And so that's what we're doing. Um, and it has really put a sort of weird spin on every conversation that I have because I'm telling, I used to tell my patients, well, you have to get your labs drawn once a week or you have to get your labs drawn once a month or whatever it is. Cause that's what I do. But now I'm saying, don't go get your labs drawn. Don't leave your house. Don't put yourself at risk. If you get a new symptom and we're worried, we'll find a way to safely get your blood drawn. And otherwise, you stay where you are. Because some of these people have had bone marrow transplants. All the things that they've gone, gone through will be undone. They will die if they get COVID. Right. So it feels um, very heavy. Like my days, you know, I'll, I'll do five telehealths and I'll just be so like sad and exhausted from it. It's weird. Not that I'm not normally like leukemia is hard, but usually the post-transplant stuff, like that's like, oh, you're doing so well. This is great. And there's sort of none of that now. Now it's like all of this work will be undone. And a lot of them are saying, well, I survived cancer and now I can't even leave my home. And I'm like, you're right. You cannot. You must stay there. It's, it's weird. No, totally. It's very sad. I'm getting very sad, you know. <sighs> um, so the face-to-face -face visits that you're having are like new patients and um, are you doing chemo and stuff like that? Yes. So we're still doing chemo because we don't have any choice because they will, uh, you know, the patients who are in therapy for leukemia or who need therapy for leukemia truly need it. There's no real wait time. Yeah. Um, we're also still enrolling patients on trials if they are relapsed or refractory and don't have other options. Yeah. So some of the patients I'm seeing are sort of mid-trial or mid-chemo. Um, we are really, even those patients, we're really trying to minimize the face-to-face -face contact for them. So if they have to go to my infusion suite for chemo, that might be their visit. Like I might not also see them. 
um, so that we can do our best to um, like I might see them via telehealth a different day um, just so that we can, you know, decrease their risk and our risk. I'm really lucky because I have two excellent APPs um, and they are in the office every day and they are alternating who is seeing patients live, but they are helping to protect us since we may have to do inpatient coverage for one another if somebody gets sick. Yeah. So they're shielding our um, face-to-face contact with patients. So obviously they can't do a new, um, they can't do a new, you know, a new leukemic visit that, that just can't happen, but they can do much of the other things that we could have done. Right. I feel terrible for your patients. Like it's such a scary thing to yeah, it's, have to leave their house and get chemotherapy. Like I would be scared out of my brain to like yeah. leave the house, but the thing you have that, to do it. The thing that seems to be so making it so super much harder too is the no visitor issue. Like they are so used to having their spouse, their mom, their daughter, their girlfriend um, with them during their treatments and during their visits. And we do not allow that at all now. And so their partners are waiting in the car outside or waiting wherever. And it has created so much more anxiety for everybody, for the patients, for their partners. Like that was something that helped them be less scared. And now we're telling them that they have to be alone. And it is, it it just, if that breaks my heart and the ones that are in the hospital and are really sick are there alone. Yeah, that's awful. I mean, you must know how that is a little bit, right? Because you have people yes. laboring alone. Yeah. Well, um, you know, for one week we had a no visitor policy. It was overturned, but I have labored a couple people alone. And then um, there are some people actually choosing to labor alone because they don't want to ask anyone to babysit their child other than their spouse. Right. And also... Um, they also are figuring out like if their spouse stays at home and doesn't expose themselves to a New York City hospital, which is probably the worst place you want to go, bringing a newborn home is a little bit less stressful. So if, you know, if God forbid the mom had gotten COVID like from being at the hospital, then at least the husband wasn't there. So there are actually, there are people actually choosing to, to labor alone. And usually it's someone who's had kids before and they're just like sort of making their own decision, but yeah, it's not fun at all. You know? Um, Yeah. I understand that decision. Actually. I I think back and I think my parents came and took care of my older daughter when I had my younger one. Um, And I'm not sure looking back what my backup plan for that would have been, I guess my sister, but none of those people are options today. My sister cannot come here. My mother, my dad is 81 years old. Yeah. Like, yeah, they cannot come here. I think that um, people who don't have kids, their first baby, it's like a no brainer. You're going to have, you've, it's an experience they've never had before and they're going to do it together. But um, for, for people who have two, three kids at home, it's very difficult. Plus the mom is like, you know what? I got this. I don't need my husband. <laughs> and, I, I kind of understand that. My yeah, second like time. If you had, you know, you had a like relatively easy, normal delivery that, or even honestly a repeat C-section people are kind of like, I know what that experience is. Like I'd just rather have my husband home with my kids. So like the babysitting issue doesn't become an issue. Yeah. Cause most people have elderly grandparents or like their sister, but like, they don't know what their sister's been doing going in and out of the house or like just, you know, or I had some woman, like the brother-in-law was bringing their three-year-old out to the playground and they were like freaking out about it. And they're like, I wish I had left my husband at home instead of all this stuff. So it's funny because I I totally understand that. And, you know, the second time after I had my daughter, I actually sent my husband home to get some sleep. I was like, we're never, you know, we know what this is like. It's going to be really hard with two of them at home. Yeah. Like go home, sleep, come back tomorrow. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, 
if I were having cancer surgery or if I were having chemotherapy, like that's super upsetting to not have this whole no visitor policy. It's totally necessary. It's keeping people safe. Um, But it's so sad. I know the poor, the poor wife of this new patient yesterday said to me, my worst fear is he'll get sick. He'll go into the hospital and I will never see him again. Yeah. And I was like, so heartbroken. I also promised her that that won't be the case because these are the exceptions that we make. And I, you know, if there is anything in the world that I can do to help make that exception, I will. If he gets sick, I will make sure she can go. Yeah. But it's so sad. Yeah. I know. It's such like a crazy world we're living in right now. What does your normal work week look like then? Because you're doing a lot of outpatient stuff, home, telemed, and you're in the office I guess a couple days, de- like yeah. So I'm in the office or- a couple days a week. I'm home a couple days a week. Um, my home time is sort of interesting because you know I have two teenage girls and one, well, one teenage girl, and one almost teenage girl. Yeah, um, teenage. <laughs> my teenager and yeah. my older one is this very independent. Like she's so funny. She's like, I'm totally fine with all of this. Like this is my dream. I'm like still texting all my friends and I don't have to leave my room. Yeah. My younger one does a lot better if she's even just in like the same room with me. So we'll set up together with our laptops and we'll work and it'll be fine. Except then all of a sudden she's playing a video on the Pythagorean theorem. And I'm like, it's, it's hard. Like, I I don't want to, She's an anxious, very anxious child, and she has done really well with all of this. But I think some of that has been having me available. Yeah. Um, And so I don't want to diminish that, but it does make getting work done harder. Um, So I'm managing. My husband is really good at working. So he will close himself in the office from 8.30 in the morning until 5.30 at night sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I can't do that because I yeah. have kids that I feel like need me. So it's weird. It's making me feel very um, – I, I feel like I've lost a lot of focus in my job um, because I'm either not doing my job because I'm trying to manage other stuff or I'm thinking about COVID – So it's really hard. Like I try to sit down to like catch up and write a paper or something and I find it extremely difficult. So I was hoping that this time would help me catch up on other things. Um, But it's been, I've had a really, really difficult time with it. I'm, I'm trying, I'm working on it, but I'm, I, I didn't, I didn't foresee this, but it's been very hard. I think most of us, I mean, there are some exceptions like your husband, but most of us don't work effectively at home with our children on top of us. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I basically almost don't, I don't work really at home at all, but it's very difficult. What, uh, what does your husband do? Let us all know. Uh, my husband is a stroke neurologist. He is the head of the stroke program and also the vice chair of neurology at Penn. Great. Great. And he's working at home exclusively. He is currently working at home exclusively. He is going on service um, at what is expected to be our peak. Um, And so we have had conversations already about whether he should stay in a hotel, whether he should stay in the bedroom on the third floor and just stay away from the kids. Um, It is not clear, but his service time is going to be the third week in April, which I'm fairly certain will be mean the hospital has essentially all COVID cases. Yeah. Like, so do you, does he anticipate to be sort of reshuffled and not really doing a whole lot of neurology? Um, well, it's sort of not clear. I mean, there's going, there's, there is always, there are always strokes and there's always a stroke service and there's always going to need to be people on it. Um, they are, they have tried to reshuffle kind of more general neurology um, consult service people right now so that like one person's covering two hospitals so that they have that other person in reserve to kind of shuffle them into 
a different place. Um, but it's entirely not clear. And they are already moving, physically moving the neuro ICU patients to a different location so they can have those ventilators. Right. So um, I think he's still primarily planning to cover that service because it will always exist. Um, but, but it's still all up in the air. Right. I think all the hospitals are, you know, doing clearing all out the I, uh, ICUs, you know, um, even the PICUs. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> They're going to put, you know, what did Nicoletta said? They're going to see up to uh, people 30 years old in the PICU. <laughs> I know that is really That's crazy. Outrageous. That's I know. crazy. So, you know, it's funny. They asked us to volunteer to cover, cover general internal medicine shifts. And I spoke to my, oh, to Gretchen Diemer, who's an MDRT, who's one of yeah. my closest friends. I had this exchange with her where I said, like, sort of, how do you, what are you guys envisioning? And she said, well, you know, some, sometimes it'll be like two subspecialists will equal one general internal medicine doctor. And I said, well, that's great, but you need to think about it this way in terms of using the leukemia docs. A GI doc plus an endocrine doc may very competently cover an internal medicine service, but a GI doc plus an endocrine doc will never cover a leukemia service. Right. And so my job is to protect my service because I really worry that in the wake of COVID, there will be some of our patients who will either be viewed as, you know, not, not worth getting the vent because they have leukemia or like whatever the situation will be. And I worry about the, them dying, not of COVID, but because we can't care for them. And so I know we all have to look at our, like the huge public health crisis, but I also need to do the best I can to provide care for, for the leukemics. Right. It's so sad. What's it is so on. sad. Uh, I think they should put a hospital, like, I mean, I guess they're not having two hospitalists on a service, but they should just spread out all the hospitalists and give them a subspecialist as a, you know. Yeah, I think, I think they have really good plans, but I think there's just trying to make like, as Make many. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know like New York is going to be, you know, a big explosion. We don't know how big it's going to be, but we're preparing for the worst and it may be a dermatologist, and a, <laughs> you know, an ophthalmologist running an internal medicine service. I don't know. I think Rhea kept volunteering. So I think it's going to be psych. Yeah. Psychiatrist. They're, they're going to be really well, you know, taken care of like emotionally emotionally <laughs> <laughs> they have really good therapy at the bedside but <laughs> but uh, anyway let's talk about running a little bit <laughs> okay okay <laughs> I'm really That's glad to still be able to do it yes I mean it is it's an amazing thing it's like we can't leave our house except for solitary like outdoor exercise, which, you know, people are not just doing burpees on the side. Of the <laughs> they are you, not. You could. <laughs> but for some reason, that doesn't seem appealing to people. So I don't, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. I think we should do that. I think we should do a burpee challenge if you are, you know, bored of your running. But we are running. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I actually signed up for a marathon yesterday. You did not. Yeah. What, what did you sign up for? I signed up for St. George. Oh, um, yes. That's supposed to be beautiful. Yes. So my running partner, um, who is a not Facebook MDRT, who you've met, lots of people have met her. Yeah. She is turning 50. Um, and she picked St. George as a potential BQ. So, yeah. And she got some extra time this year because she turned 50, so. Yes, she's turning 50 in October, um, and so awesome. it will give her five more minutes. Nice. Yep. So you're doing that. So we, I, I really hope we're doing that. <laughs> it's, it's October 3rd. Yeah, I know. We're all like, <laughs> so tell me how you got into running. 
Oh, it's a little sad, but I will. It's it's a good story. So um, I never ever ran. Um, and when I say never, I mean not middle school, not high school, not college, not unless something was chasing me. Um, and then when I was thirty four year thirty six, thirty six, yeah. Um, oh wait a second, I was older, thirty seven. Oh God, I was thirty seven. My very close friend who was thirty four died of lung cancer. Oh. And her family ran the Live Strong 5K. And I said, I am going to run it too, in her honor. Um, so she died at the end of June. The 5K was in August. And I thought, well, I can never get up to three miles by August. So I have to wait a whole year. Like, I'll just spend the year. But like, you know, what actually happened, right, was that the first anniversary of her death came. And I hadn't started running. And so on that day, I went to my local running store and I said, I need running shoes because I am going to learn to run. And I downloaded Couch to 5K. Um, and in August, I ran the Live Strong as my very first race. Um, I was a mess. I was training after work in June and July. Um, so it was awful. And yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it. Um, and then I ran a couple more 5Ks in the fall, and then it got cold. And I had no idea what to do. I didn't have any clothes to run. I, like, literally I had no idea what to do. And so I did the worst possible thing any runner could possibly do. And I ran one day a week on the warmest part of the day, like, on Saturdays. <laughs> um, nobody take notes on this. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I talked to a bunch of people and I was like, I want to keep running. Please tell me what I should do. I don't know what I should do. And I don't really like to run, but for some reason I felt like I wanted to keep doing it. And so all these people said, You don't like to run because you don't run far enough, which sounds really stupid. Yeah. But turns out it was totally true. Like my wall is after three miles. Like, I don't warm up and I don't feel good until I'm almost at, like, four miles. Yeah. So I signed up with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society team in training to train for Broad Street, which is our huge 10-miler in May. Um, and that is how I really started running. So I was 38. I ran my first real race. Um in, in the first weekend of May, it was the best, like, experience. I crossed the finish line, and I cannot even tell you all of, like, the emotions. Like, I had don't remember ever having been so proud of myself. Um, and so I got home, and my husband said, how was it? And I told him all about it, and he said, well, that's great. You're done now, right? <laughs> And I said, I don't know what you mean. He's like, well, you're, you're done. You, you ran your race and you're done. And I was like, no, I'm signing up for the half marathon in the fall. Um, and so he started running. Yeah. Because he said, <laughs> you're going to love this. He's eight years older than me. And he said, well, if you're running and I'm doing nothing and I'm eight years older than you, then I'm going to die like 20 years before you. And I don't want you to have another husband. So <laughs> now I'm going to start running. And that's really what happened. <laughs> and yeah. And now he does like triathlons, doesn't he? No, or no, no. I do triathlons. He definitely uh, does not. Okay. <laughs> um, no, he he's funny. He actually is one of the three people in the world that likes treadmills. He runs in our basement three to four times a week, three to four miles. He watches his superhero television shows, and that's what he likes. Awesome. I love yeah. it. Yep. That sounds perfect to me. I actually don't <laughs> mind treadmills. Um, but, you know, I don't have one because I live in an apartment. So, yeah. but, so it's so uh, funny. We got the treadmill because when I was training for Broad Street, I was so scared that if I missed a single workout that I would literally die during the race. Oh, new runners were so funny. So your OCD like coming I was, out. <laughs> I was just so scared. I was like, oh my God, it says I have to do this. So then I was worried, like, what if it rains one day? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I got it when I almost never use it, but he uses it. Um, and so it worked out great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So you were the MDRT that said she'd never go all the way. I am. <laughs> uh, and did. you know why? I did, and you know why I did, right? Because of you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about that decision. Tell us about your marathon. Um, so let's see. Um, there was no peer pressure from MDRT. That Zero. Had nothing to do with why I decided to ultimately do my first marathon. Yeah. Um, so, so we all know, you, all, you know, that I own a shirt that says half marathon girl, I don't go all the way. I mean, I was committed. I even had a shirt. But then you guys were all like doing it. And it was so great. <laughs> and, and, you know, you read the race reports and somehow you sort of skip over the part about how like people want to die or puke or like faint. And you just go to the part where it's like the best experience of everybody's lives. Yeah. Um, and ultimately... Both of the people that I run with also did one. And I was like, I, I felt so, so left out. <laughs> oh, my God. God. It was totally I mean, nuts. You read all the, like, Boston race reports where people yes. were, like, yes. in medical tests. Yes. Being rectally probed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, soiling themselves, and I was like, ooh, ooh, "Growing ooh, me up, me too, me too." <laughs> you, there was fair warning, Archie. <laughs> I know it's true. It's true, I, and I will, I will say to everybody out there who hasn't run a marathon yet, run a marathon. It was absolutely the right decision. So, I'm not, I'm not you guys. Like, I, I BQing is going to be exceedingly difficult if I ever sort of think about doing that. Um, I'm not naturally a fast runner. And so when I signed up for Chicago, I talked to my coach about it and I just said, my goal is to finish the race in a way that will help me want to do more marathons. Um, and so I spent the summer heart rate training. So I really ran slowly because it was like 75 or 80 degrees all the time. Um, and when I got to the day, I ran two 20 milers. How was that? Uh, uh hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually I have to say, I really loved marathon training because I had that feeling of accomplishment all the time because yeah. every week I would run these distances that I really, really believed I would never be able to do. Yeah. Um, and so it really, as hard as it was physically, I really felt great about it. And it was hard for me mentally. And so one of the things that I did was I practiced what I was going to do at the race when it got hard mentally. And I think practicing that was so, so valuable. Um, I practiced it at the end of my long runs. And when I got there, um, so... Okay, so you got. I did Chicago. The weather was absolutely perfect. It was. I, I cannot say how grateful um, I was. It was like forty-one when we started, um, and um, Monica, who says I overdressed all the time. Um, <laughs> I wore shorts. I wore our tank and sleeves, and then I wore a zip over it for maybe the first mile, and then took it off. So yeah. I didn't overdress and it was great. So I will tell you that when I was standing waiting to start, um, in Judaism, there is a prayer that you say like on all the holidays and at special occasions. And the words are, thank you for bringing me to this moment or thank you for bringing me to this day. And that is how I felt so grateful to be standing at the starting line it really was kind of overwhelming like I almost cried and I was like this is terrible I can't cry before a marathon but I just felt so grateful to like have gotten through the training without being injured and to be able to stand there yeah no I totally relate to that feeling it's amazing um, it was and you hadn't even run it yet I know <laughs> 
<laughs> and then, and then I started and I decided, I made a decision very early to switch the face of my watch to my heart rate um, and to let myself run where I knew I could comfortably run for at least 20 miles because that's all I'd ever done. And so we, I, it wasn't fast. Um, it was comfortable. We opted to stop to go to the bathroom at mile eight. That was not, I, I kind of looking back, wish we hadn't made that decision. It took a really long time. Um, but again, whatever, water under the bridge, that wasn't the point. Um, but what happened, but I, I ran, like I, I didn't walk. I, I, I ran the whole, I got a tiny cramp at mile 18 and I just told myself, all I have to do is get to 20 because I had no real plan after 20 because I'd never run more than 20 miles. So my plan yeah. after 20 was like to walk or to crawl or to like roll. I didn't know. And so by the time I got to 20, I actually felt fine again. I mean, as fine as I'd ever felt running 20 miles. Yeah. And then I started all the mental stuff. So I, you know, I told myself I ran, I can run six miles. I run six miles many times a week. Then I got to five miles and I was in Chinatown, which is, you know, everyone tells you like, oh, you're in Chinatown in at Chicago, you're almost at the end. Um, and Chinatown's like very distracting. So that was really helpful. And then somehow like there I was like, at 5k away, which, you know, you get to 5k, you're like, you're going to make it to the end. And then Michigan Avenue is just literally five people deep cheering for you. So it's impossible. Not, I mean, unless you physically can't, you run, you yeah. just, you just run. Yeah. And, and then, you know, there's that turn where you go up the ramp. Oh, and terrible. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. The worst. And so you turn and you're going to go up the ramp. And this enormous gust of wind comes, but it comes behind us and helps push us up the ramp. Oh, nice. And I thought, oh, thank God, because literally if it had been the other direction, I would have sat down. <laughs> like it was just this huge gust of Chicago wind. And then we were at the top of it at 26 miles and you make a left and you can see the finish line. And I said to my running partner, I can see the marathon. I swore I'd never run. Um and then I did, I did, I ran 26 point, whatever miles you end up actually running in a marathon. Um, and I felt okay. I felt fine. I felt better before I stopped running than after I stopped running. Yeah. Um, and the first thing I did was text my kids, some text that had a curse in it about how I had effing run a marathon. <laughs> Um, they were there, but we, I never saw them on the course. I missed them. They were there three times, but it was fine because I saw them at the end and it just was, it was like no other experience I've ever had. Um, there is a big marathon lie, by the way, which is, which is people say you don't sleep the night before, but you sleep great the night after lies. <laughs> Every time I rolled over the night after I woke up. Every time. Yeah. And after that, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, not fine. It took three days before I could like walk down the stairs. But that first night after, that's a lie. Don't expect yeah. to sleep. It's fine. <sighs> but did, it was you work, did, did you have the foresight to take the day after off? Too? I did. So I got I um I huh, I did something brilliant, but I didn't know it was brilliant, which is. I sent my family home from Chicago that afternoon ah. so that I didn't, because I didn't want them to miss school. Yeah. And so as soon as they left, I didn't have anyone to take care of but myself. Like I went and had drinks with like Nikki and, you know, a bunch of yeah. other people. And then in the morning I had brunch with a bunch of MDRTs and like, it was so great not to have to like worry about my family anymore and like yeah. what they wanted to do. Um, and so it didn't and you fly had by. their support. You had their support yep. for the race, but yet they left early. So. Yes, it was perfect. They were there, they were before. there before. They were there for the race, and then they were gone. Good. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Did you start planning your next one right after? Um. Um. Pretty. Soon. 
soon after um, because I knew that my friend Allison was turning 50 and that she was going to want to do a big marathon, like some, some BQ attempt. Um, and so because I felt like it was a really good experience and I know that I have a much faster marathon in me. I mean, I don't know if it's a BQ, but I, but I do know that, I mean, the choice I made, I made a very deliberate choice, but I could definitely do a much faster marathon. And so I knew I would run another one. And then I just sort of waited for her to pick, to pick something out. Um, it's funny, we talked about Amsterdam, we almost settled on Amsterdam until we found out that the average temperature during the Amsterdam marathon is zero. Woo, cold. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, no. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's better than an average, you know, temperature being 80 degrees, but yes. Like, well, zero degrees Celsius or zero degrees Fahrenheit? Because um, zero. I think Celsius, I mean, Fahrenheit. Oh, because yeah. Celsius, I mean, 32, 32 degrees is okay. Is, yeah. No. I mean, I would, I would obviously run, I mean, I, you know me, I don't like the cold, <laughs> but I, I would run a marathon in 32 degrees, but not zero. Yeah, no, zero. I was like, oh my God, this is nuts. Yeah. Also turns out you can't BQ at Amsterdam. I don't know why. Oh, it's, yeah, maybe it's like a weird course. Like they have to, you know. Yeah. So go to St. You know, do St. George. It's going to be lovely. Yes. And you have to fly in and out of Las Vegas. So there will be post-race 50th birthday celebration. Nice. It will be by the pool lying down, but it will happen. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) So um, what's your, is, what's your favorite distance though? What do you think? Um, Oh, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, I actually think it's 10 miles. (laughs) 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 because the broad street 10 miler is such a great great race and this was gonna be my eighth year in a row running it um no I think you know right now it's hard for me to say that I actually really love training for the I like like the longer training runs I like 16 17 18 um and so I don't know, that might make marathoning. Oh my gosh, we I don't need know. you. I don't know. And all the way, girl. I really want to do New York. Oh, yes. It's amazing. I really I think I'm gonna end up having to do it for charity, and that's fine because yeah. I think getting in is just so super hard. But yeah. You could take the train nine times to New York City to do the nine plus one. I feel like that's a good that's a good option, Margie. Oh, you have other, nothing better to do. <laughs> the other thing that I was thinking though is I'm gonna try to get into the virtual one. I know it's super hard, but I'm gonna try. Yeah. Yeah, Megan did that. Like yeah. Um, yeah. And then you could and you enjoy the long run. So heck yeah, <laughs> just go run like a twenty-six long mile, twenty-six yes. miler and it'll be yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely try that. Um, yeah, um, I know they're really hard to get into, but yeah. How was uh, Atlanta? We, we just saw each other. I know it was so, so super great. I do feel like it was a million years ago. It was a million years ago. It was like right before this started. I feel guilty because I feel like we spread the coronavirus while we were there, but do you really, I don't know. Like it was right before like everything happened. I know, but I, I think know. there were so few cases in the U S at that point. Yeah. Um, but I do, it's funny because I had a conversation with my friend, Allison, who came down with me about, about that issue of like, well, we're tra- we're flying and will there be international people, even though it's the U S trials, like just coming to watch or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, we don't have any real reason to think that's the case. Um, but we were thinking about it even then, yeah. but just not in, obviously not in the way that we are now. But I feel really, really grateful to have seen everybody right before this. Um, yeah. It was, I, I think it was super amazing and I think we should absolutely do that again. But it was also really overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. There were so many people. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. But I yeah. and I slept in the dormitory for the night. So oh yeah, so tell us about that. 
Mm -hmm. Some people got together, got an Airbnb, and then it didn't really work out. (laughs) Right. That is correct. They said that there was some kind of, I think, like a plumbing leak or something in the original place that they were going to put us in. And so they put us in a different place, which was very nice, but really was meant to sleep like maybe, you know, comfortably two couples and a couple kids. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it was kind of sweet for a night to like yeah. have a big slumber party. Um, and I had a super lovely um, bedmate. Stephanie. Um, But it was really like kind of crazy. Like, I don't know what we were thinking. We are all grown up doctors. Yeah. Like, I literally have no idea what we were thinking. Yeah. So So then I what? Yes. And then you went, I don't know, you found a hotel room somewhere. Yep. They sure did. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm uh, not sure what it looked like when they got back from the race, but yeah, there were not enough showers for that. Yeah. They must have been showering for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were at the Glen, which I feel like everyone, like hundreds of MDRTs were there, but it was like this small boutique hotel. It reminded me of what a New York City hotel would be. Like um, the building was old and the rooms were teeny. But it was super close to the start line. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I don't know how people are like dealing with this small footprint of a room. But um, it, you know, it was very it was, you know, it was a nice hotel. We had a lot of fun. And it was nice that everyone was like in one place. So. I know that is really nice. I yeah, I obviously was again, I thought it was like very it was very when we thought about doing it and people were like, oh, do you want to do it? And it was kind of like you know, being asked to be like part of the cool crowd, we were going to go stay together. And now I'm like, I don't, again, what, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it was great. I mean, uh, I brought my husband and, you know, it, we didn't do a whole lot of group activities either. So it, it, but it was fine. It was a little bit of both things. Oh, and we share a birthday, Margie. I mean, yes. not exactly, not exactly, but a birthday weekend. Yes. And that was super fun. Did your your husband wasn't like upset? You wanted to like go and leave them? <laughs> uh, no, well, not really, no, <laughs> no. Like, go and have fun. So yeah, I mean, so here's the thing, right? So my husband's birthday is five days after mine. Ah, and super dork alert. Um. Our birthdays this year, our ages add up to 100. And so we had already planned to, we were hosting a 1920s murder mystery as our birthday party. Which, by the way, got canceled. Yeah. Yeah. So we Including the bat mitzvah. (laughs) Yeah. The bat mitzvah got canceled too. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so we had, that was from going to be March 14th. Um, and that had already been like planned and set up. And so it wasn't, we weren't really going to celebrate our birthdays anyway until then. Um, and so it was sort of all worked out really well because I was going to go do this for my birthday. And then we were going to have a birthday party, um, which is now, I guess, going to be a half birthday party. Maybe (laughs) we'll reschedule for August. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fine. You'll work around it. Yeah. And we did, we were planning my daughter's bat mitzvah. um, And we just rescheduled that for a year. So that is, it's going to be April 10th of next year. Oh, okay. Yeah. How's your daughter feeling about that? Um, She's actually doing great. So we, you know, my synagogue is doing like Zoom based bat mitzvahs to keep people on schedule and stuff. And I offered her all kinds of options, but she said that what was important to her was to be in the synagogue reading from the actual Torah, because that's the point. And so she was happy that we found a way for her to read the same like Torah part a a year later. 
Um, and the same venue is available and our caterer is available. Like everybody is being super kind and moving. So she is doing fine with it, which is great. Like the worst was when we sort of the reality set in that there was just no way it was going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it like for everyone, it like kind of was like getting like, you know, getting boiled to death, but like very slowly. <laughs> You're like, wait, it's getting like, like that's a great analogy. No, like very slowly, like they brought, you know, and it was just like a little bit. And I was like, damn it. Like, I don't want them to cancel the New York half marathon. That would be silly. Right. And like, I don't, we were all like, do you really think they'll cancel Boston? I know. And then we're like, I'm just going to run the half marathon. Like, I'm not listening to anyone. Like, we're just going to run it. Like, we're we're not going to spread it. And then two days later, I'm like, they really can't have the half marathon. This is ridiculous. And then, then yeah, then we're like, they're not going to cancel Boston. They'll just cancel one and not the other. And like, <laughs> right now, like, those marathons weren't supposed to be for like three weeks from now. I'm like, that's ridiculous. The idea that they would have had a marathon in three weeks from now is like completely insane. Like, I know I don't like people should not even be talking to anyone right now. Have we heard any follow-up about, about the LA marathon? Because I was super curious. They, they ran it anyway. Does anybody know if like half the marathoners got COVID or if that just didn't happen? I don't know. I've, I don't know. I think there was like one or two posts about it. I don't remember. Um, I don't, I mean, I think it's ramping up right now. Um, yeah. California. And it's been interesting to watch like Seattle and Northern California. Cause it's been a slow boil again, to use that analogy. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, New York obviously shot up like, a, you know, like crazy. The acceleration from start to, to where we are now is, but the West coast people, and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, New York is just primed. Like once yes. we had a couple yeah. cases, like there's no way it wasn't going to go crazy unless from the very second it got here, we um, isolated those people. But like we're on top of each other. Yes. Like- <laughs> yes. It actually shocked me a little bit that there was that like intermediate weirdness where they said restaurants could have 50% capacity. I thought, yeah, that cannot be good. Yeah. So, yeah, it just and then it yeah, it took uh, like a week for everything to like slowly shut down. But like, I just think that that's the way it had to be done because people like my even myself, like I'm a health professional, like I just couldn't see it. I was like, we're going to run this half marathon to like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, stay in your home and don't ever leave. Like, <laughs> So, you know, I mean, they, you know, and in New York City still to this day, the subways are running like a good percentage of our population are essential health workers. I mean, not health workers, right. essential workers. Right. You know, we have to clean up the garbage. We have to like do so many things like it's. And I you know. really, truly feel for all of you guys that live in, you know, in apartments, it's such a like. When, when my family is having a, everybody in my family is having a teenage moment, which happens, um, we can literally be on different floors. Yep. Um, and for you guys, like, I just feel like it must be much more difficult. And then if you choose to go outside, like, there's not that many spaces to go outside. So it's so hard to distance from everybody so hard but it's okay my daughters have not been outside for two weeks now like it was two thursdays ago <laughs> does it shock you that they're okay with that because i, I they don't care the right girls, like don't care right. they don't want to go outside right <laughs> i you know i make my children get their asses up and go outside even for a few minutes even to stare at their phones in my backyard i was like you guys are gonna get rickets yeah. I mean, I would <laughs> if we had a backyard, but like part of me is like, I don't make them because like the right. park is filled with people anyway. Yep. So, and if they really don't want to go outside, I just make them do like burpees and squats <laughs> like, in the apartment. But like, I agree with you. If I was in your situation, I wouldn't make them, but I'm here in the yeah. suburbs. There's a backyard. Like yep. go, what? They are very low energy. I mean, like the little one's a little bit higher energy, but my middle one has like, I mean, ugh, 
her metabolism like I can't even believe like she's still generating some heat in her body like literally there's like nothing going on in her body and they can eat 24 hours a day and they're not they don't gain thank god they're kids that's all I have to say yeah they're just kids I mean her BMI is like 10 yeah yes yeah mine do so it's it's fine it's all fine but like you know (laughs) Lucas runs every day I run every day and well almost every day and we only have one, two, three, like three rooms to do things in, three or four. And like everyone's on Zoom and then Logan gets on the violin. And so I just want, I'm surprised I'm able to have this conversation with you. Like people are usually doing something <laughs> in every room. Maybe it's the morning. Maybe they haven't yeah. quite gotten their day started yet. Yeah. Oh, well, some of their classes start at eight and it's like pretty painful because everyone sleeps at like 12 now. I know. Because there's no sense of time and like trying to get people out of bed. But yeah, we're, this is a new normal. But I was like, this is going to be really shocking when they actually have to leave the house at some point. <laughs> to like, stuff. like that's going to be crazy. How, how is your husband holding up? Oh, he's, he's okay. He's good. I mean, you know, his work doesn't bother him. He's a very sort of unemotional, like type of person. He's like very even keeled. I think just the only thing that really annoys him is, um, like our president. Oh, oh, (laughs) sorry. Well, you know, and yeah, um, what he perceives like direct from that perspective, the disorganization and lack of um, preparedness um, from the hospital, you know, from the government, from federal government on down, because really there really should be have someone have been in charge of all this. Right. So well, it, we are. Wh- why would we need a pandemic? Um, right. When that, yeah. you know, tr- <laughs> pandemic group, when that's never going to happen. I think we right. should just dissolve that and use those people yes, for other that's things. Ridiculous ideas. So. <laughs> You know, the hospitals are unprepared. New York is unprepared. We don't have enough of anything. And, um, you know, it's really up to the the soldiers, the front lines to deal with the problem, just like in any war. Like, it's like we um, he's infantry and no one gave him a gun or a helmet. And like, he's just got to, like, make do. And And I feel really a little bit sad in that because of the lack of organization, nobody is looking at the fact that, um, you know, and this is just made up because I, I don't know the reality of, of this, but there are definitely places, right? There's places in North Dakota, there's places in whatever um, that could send some of their kind of warehouse PPE to us, knowing that we are here now and that if they get there, Ours will have, our peak will have passed and we will like help them. Right. Um, we are an enormous, like physically an enormous country. And there are lots and lots of places that are not affected. There are also right. lots of hospitals that cannot really care for these people. And so they won't, like they'll send them to, to other places. Th- those hospitals yeah. should also be sending their PPE to the front line. Um, and w- without an organization, that's just a, that's just like this kind of dream about what, what should happen. But yeah. the reality is how, how could we make it happen without some central organizational process where everybody could report like how much PPE they have in their back room and like, yeah. what would be an efficient way to kind of mobilize that to the places that need it? Well, first of all, if MDRT like controlled the healthcare system in in the United States <laughs> this would not be happening no like, of course not no it wouldn't be like if women like the competent women that I know were handling this this would not be a problem but you hit the nail on the head it is not only the lack of all the stuff but um New York probably has enough now but um f- from the front lines it was just the organization of everything right like the people who needed it didn't have it in their hands. It was like, right, right. so like the people at the top are saying, okay, now we have it. Maybe it, it lagged by two or three days or a week, but now we have it, but it's just not being organized properly. Like, you know, the people who need it don't have it. And it's a constant like back and forth. It's like, you know, 
on the labor floor will have certain things on certain days and not on the other days. And I'm sure Rich is seeing that, you know, all the time that like, it just depends on like, who's in charge and like what's going on. But if MDRT, you know, were taking care of this, this would not be a problem. I fully believe that is the case. <laughs> I really do. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, we have people in places that are not affected and they would be able to use projections and all these other things to say, okay, we're sending you this today, next week, somebody else. You know what I mean? Like this, this wouldn't happen. Yeah. If Laura Morrison were in charge, (laughs) we would be, we would be fine. Perfectly stopped. We would totally be fine. Perfectly fed. Yes. 100%. Like it would just all be done. So I vote that we get Laura Morrison too. Do you think she wants to be president? I maybe. I actually think that would be a brilliant idea. I do too. I do too. But you know, hence um, old white men are making all the decisions here and see where we are, people. Oh, it makes me so sad because I read that article actually that Laura sent about how about his like approval ratings and stuff. And it I don't just, I don't even do not even talk to me about his rising approval. It just makes me nauseous. No, so. me too. It really does. It I, oh, it makes my heart hurt. On top of yeah. all of the terror that we are kind of facing in our yeah. jobs Plus and of, for our patients, <sighs> then there's this too, and it makes me yeah. it, I lose faith in humanity. It's awful. Yeah. I've actually watched more of him than I ever would like tolerate in my life, but I, I just feel like compelled to, like I have to watch it because unfortunately like, you know, Fauci gets on. So I don't know when we're getting real information. I don't want to miss <laughs> the real information. I want to know what the public is thinking about this. Cause I'm sitting here in the middle of the epicenter and like, I need to know, but like, it's just like nauseating. So there- did not mean to go on a political, like, you know, oh no you are preaching but... to the choir yeah a hundred percent all right margie i have kept you on for 60 minutes here no it's been super fun i really I know. like to talk to you really fast. i could talk of like another hour probably but i actually have to i have to scoot to work or i have to figure out how i'm gonna get to work today so Oh, we have to go. Please stay super safe. Thank you. And what are you doing this afternoon? You're uh, tele telehealth or? Um, I'm actually not seeing patients today, but I have been assigned a new, um, I guess I'll call it a task. Um, I am, I'm now leading the kind of outpatient clinical effort for my division. Um, and because the kind of the situation is changing every day and the enterprise directives are changing every day, it takes a lot of time. So yeah, that will fill much of my afternoon. Good. And, you know, you're going to homeschool your kids at the same time. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to, oh my God, the Pythagorean theorem is fine. My older one is doing logarithms. Yeah kill me i have stopped i mean yeah there's no i mean i stopped math with him like i don't know in fifth grade like i don't even i don't know what he's doing at all i will say that thank god my husband was a physics major and loves this stuff if sophia says dad can you help me with whatever his like eyes light up and he goes running up the stairs yeah thank god yeah no, no, no. I mean, it's like to the point where he, he's several like layers beyond what I know. He would never ask me for help. Like that's would be hysterical. <laughs> like he doesn't need help. He gets online. He's like taking a college course right now. Oh, like, I don't know what you're doing because there's all these free college courses, right? Like they're just. So if we so if my daughter needs help with her math and we can't figure it out, then I'm. Yeah, you call can you. call Lucas. Yeah, yeah. call Lucas. He, Perfect. Oh, he's like your husband. He lights up when people want, need help with math. He like loves it. So perfect no zoom zoom in <laughs> it'll be yeah that will be all awesome. right margie take care of yourself I appreciate it yeah you too thank, stay safe thanks Let's so much for having touch. me no problem <laughs>
No problem. All right. Well, there you go, MDRT. That was my conversation with Margie. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe once again. Um, please let us know how you're doing. If you think you have an interesting story, please reach, reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. Um, and keep um, fighting the good fight for those of you who are asking for more resources, more support, more PPE. Keep on fighting the good fight. I know you guys are um, looking at New York City, figuring out when um, things will get a little bit more tough in your neck of the woods. Um, so I just hope that the uh, responsible and the smart um, people out there, the leaders, the leadership is, is looking um, at what's going on here and preparing. Um, and I wish you guys all uh, the best of luck and love and happy running. Bye.